Today we're reading from the book of Colossians. We're talking about uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in a sermon series called Help Wanted. The Lord has let us know that um, there's a harvest and what we need are just workers to do the work. All we need are people who are willing to follow the Lord and do the work of spreading his gospel. And so we've been talking about that in this sermon series. Today we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to look at a very personal example of Paul talking about his personal uh, spread of the gospel to other people. And then we're going to talk just a little bit at the end of this sermon about what do we say when we have an opportunity? Um, what is the gospel and what do we say? So we'll be reading from Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse, starting chapter 4, verse 2. And Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so here you have the Apostle Paul with some very interesting way, words to describe this. He says he'd like to, for the fellow believers to pray for him that he may declare the mystery of Christ. And it's interesting because as you read the word of God, it's no mystery. Sin is serious. It requires a sacrifice. The Lord worked very hard to teach that to Israel. It's no mystery. He gave them an entire sacrificial system where each time that they brought a, a calf or a lamb to the temple to, to slaughter for their sin, it would remind them that this is the punishment of their sin. Their punishment is death. And as you read the prophets, there would be one who would come who would take their sin upon him. And then you have Jesus who came and taught very clearly. He taught so clearly that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, come to take his sin upon him, that people either worshipped him for being God and being the Messiah, or they killed him for what they thought was falsely claiming to be that. And so it couldn't have been more clear, right? People responded to Jesus in very clear ways. They worshipped or they killed him. But yet Paul refers to it as the mystery of Christ, and I think he does that because there's a spiritual battle around the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is it? You know, I learned to uh, change my spark plugs the other day. It's an incredible day and age. I just go onto YouTube. I type in the make and model of my car, and they just show you step by step on how to do this. It's incredible. And I sat there. It was outrageously difficult. I had to have the, uh, even with the video, right, I had to have the body of a contortionist to get my hands in there. I had to have the fingers of an artist to try to, you know, reach behind these things and, like, delicately place the bolts in. And I had to have the grip of an arm wrestler. But it was no mystery. The video just made it. They told me what to do, what bolt goes where. They said 10 millimeters here, 14 millimeters there, and I was able to follow it. And yet I feel like there's a spiritual battle around the gospel, which is different than other things. We can understand other things, but I feel like it takes the Holy Spirit of God to actually come upon us so we can even understand what the gospel is. There's so many times where I have been trying to explain it to someone, or even myself as I was young, growing up, I grew up in church. I must have heard the gospel hundreds of times. But by the time I was old enough to really need the Lord, I look back and I realize I don't even know how I'm saved. I don't even know what the gospel is. To even say that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave seemed to just be beyond me, even though I had heard it my whole life. 
And so there's this spiritual battle around the mystery of Christ about what Jesus has actually done for us. And so Paul describes it as a mystery. And I would say when people actually understand that mystery, right, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and begins to reveal us the truth of what Jesus has done for us, there's really nothing more exciting or miraculous that can happen to us in this life than to have that mystery revealed because it changes everything. There's nothing more miraculous or exciting or spectacular or important as the moment in our life when the mystery of Christ is revealed and those scales fall from our eyes and we see our situation before the Lord clearly. We see our need for Jesus. We see his offer of love and forgiveness and we embrace that with our whole heart and soul. And here Paul says, help me to declare this mystery. And when I think of the conversion experiences of myself or the other born-again believers that I know, it's interesting to me as I reflected on that, they use the words, I understand. I remember I was at a church camp, actually the same church camp where I had a born-again experience, where I really understood the mystery of Christ. And I remember a few years later, I had come back to serve. You never, once (laughs) once you're born again at church camp, you never leave. You come back and serve year after year. And I went back and uh, I was serving and this girl said, I've heard all these sermons this whole week. I have no idea what any of you are talking about. It was was incredible. And we didn't explain anything to her. That was the more incredible part. None of us said anything. But what we did was said, well, why don't we pray for you, us counselors? We, We said, well, can we pray for you? And so we laid our hands on this girl and we prayed for her. And it's incredible because the Holy Spirit fell and the prayer worked. It's funny what happens when you have your faith in the Lord, when he moves. You know, the Bible so often as it goes through the book of Acts and people are imparting the Holy Spirit to new believers, they lay their hands on them. That works. And this girl, even though we didn't explain anything to her, we laid our hands on her, the Holy Spirit fell. And she said, at the end of his prayer, she goes, I understand. Even though we hadn't said any words, it's incredible. There was at college where I was witnessing to a friend of mine, um, a girl who's, she's about my age, maybe a year younger. I was probably 20, she was 19. And I was going through some of the scriptures with her and she was very interested, but I was getting nowhere. And she went on a retreat. And at the retreat, they put nails in your hand as a part of their treat so you could see what they did to Jesus, what went into his hands. And she said, when that nail hit my hand, it's like the Holy Spirit really revealed to my heart what he, who he actually was and what he actually did. And she came back and I was in my dorm room and she came back and she was, her life was changed. And she came back and she saw me in the dorm room. She comes in, she gives me a big hug and she goes, I understand. And then she left and my roommate walked in and she was kind of like jumping up and down really happy. And she, my roommate walks in and she leaves and he comes in and goes, yeah! And I was like, no, 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 not, not like that at all. She understands. You missed the point. My dad, when he, we prayed for my dad for years and years and years to receive the Lord and believe, become a believer. And at 57, he decided, and he put it in this way, he said, I'm going to stop letting the things I don't understand, or I'm I'm going to stop letting the things I didn't get keep me from letting God do the things I understand that he can do in my life. And it's a mystery, but in reality, his glory is revealed. It's revealed in his word, and when we open our hearts up to the Lord, he will 
reveal that mystery to our hearts as well. And Paul prays that he can declare this mystery, and he prays, he asks us to pray for him as well, which I think is very interesting. When we're looking at spreading the gospel, we need to understand that it's a spiritual thing. It's a mystery to people who don't know the Lord. It's a mystery to them. And we're not just looking to impart words, we're looking to impart the Holy Spirit. And that requires prayer. And Paul, who started all these churches, who's led all these people to Christ, he realizes he can't do it on his own. This is not something that he does. He says, I need you to pray for us. I need you to pray that God might open a door for us. And Paul was deeply committed to spreading this mystery of Christ, which had been revealed to him. And he's going to talk about how we can be wise witnesses today. And the first step is that we need to pray. Because it's not informational. It's spiritual. And we need the Lord. He says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. And if we're going to use Paul's own analogy here, it's prayer that opens that door. I've seen people shrink and from the word of God, sort of like the witch, wicked witch of the West being melted by water. You take out the Bible and you're like, let me tell you about the Lord. And they go, ah! I can't even, can't even be in the same room with the open word. It's incredible how spiritual this is. But then I've seen other people read it and read it and read it and still not come to any sort of faith or understanding about the Lord. And so we need prayer. We need prayer to, for God to open us a door for the word. If you're looking to spread the gospel, you need to start praying for that person that the Lord will begin to remove the scales from their eyes because it's only his work that will reveal this mystery. And the interesting thing about this is right now, Paul is in a context just like we are. Like, this was written 2,000 years ago, but it's so interesting how Satan's newest ideas are usually his oldest ideas just recycled. And here we have a situation that Paul is facing in the city of Colossae with the Colossian church, much like we're facing today. Paul writes this letter, and he's read Colossians. There's something going on. We don't know exactly what it is, but they call it the Colossian heresy. We don't know what it was, but it belittled hope and faith in Christ as our Savior. And that was keeping people from accepting the gospel. They did not want to be degraded in other people's eyes. They didn't want their dignity lost. They wanted respect. And in the city, it was incredibly humbling to be a Christian because you were belittled, you were looked down upon. And that's exactly what Satan does to us in our culture today. It's amazing. It's amazing that people are ashamed of the gospel and proud of their sin. I, I went to a parade the other day, yesterday. Was it yesterday? It was yesterday. I went to a parade. I was visiting my family in St. Louis. And June is over. It's July. I thought I would be safe. So we took the kids to a parade. And marching down the parade, you've got all these cute little things, right? Cute little floats for the kids. And you got the Shriners or whatever with their funny little hats, right? And their little yellow cars around. Zoom, 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 zoom. Handing out toys. In the middle of the parade, there's this group of about six angry ladies, young ladies, with a giant sign that said, who's free? Not me. And they marched down the parade, and they were shouting, keep your Bible off my body. Keep your Bible off my body. And we're, I mean, I'm telling you, we're at a 4th of July parade, right? The people who are there are, for the most part, conservative Christians, biblical, Bible-believing Christians, tons of Catholics, and no one says anything. And these people march down the middle of the street, publicly rejecting God's word in an obvious defense of killing their babies. 
I'm like, I'm not here to make this weird, but how can you not say anything? Because they're shamed. They feel shamed. Six women can march down the street and our media and our culture shamed the Christians to the point that no one will say anything ever. Satan's got us right where he wants us. I mean, he, he just owns us. It's embarrassing. Oh, I don't want to look stupid. What will the other people think? And so they're marching down the street. I'm like, hey, I don't care. And I started chanting, children are a blessing, not a burden. Children are a blessing, not a burden. And I got, there's all these kids in the parade. And I said, look at all these kids. Look at all these kids. Look at all these kids. What a blessing, each one. You could have had them too. Instead, you killed them. And they're proud of it. They're proud of that. And we are ashamed of his gospel. And it's incredible what a little shame will do to us. No one says anything because you're just afraid of what people will say. I had so many people come after me at the parade and say, thank you. Thank you for saying that. But nobody else even joined me. Nobody else said anything. Nobody else says anything. How many people are going to hell in your world, in your life, deceived? And do you say anything? You just let them march right on by to hell. Here Paul says, we got to declare this mystery. We got to be wise witnesses. It takes prayer to open the door. And here they have a culture of shame upon Christians just like ours today. And what will we do about it? I remember the last person that I know who spoke about Jesus in public. You know what's incredible? It's absolutely incredible. I've said things now online for years, which you'd think would just get me just massive pushback. Massive pushback. You know, no one ever even makes a comment on any of these videos. You know why? They don't care. They don't watch them. We are so in our Christian bubble. I mean, I can get online. I can preach a sermon like this. It'll go online later today. No one's listening to me. I hate to say it. No one's listening to me. Christians are listening to me, I should say. The world, they don't listen. They don't even care. They don't even take the time to comment on that Facebook post. The last person that I knew who was outside the Christian bubble speaking to the culture, actually reaching him, was Tim Tebow. I mean, the guy got told to be quiet constantly. He wouldn't shut up, shut up about it every interview. Tim, how about that pass over the middle on fours and eight? What went wrong there? Well, you know, we didn't make that one. I mean, he didn't make many, to be honest, poor Tim. I mean, that guy had a heart of gold, but I mean, he was a college quarterback and he just got, he got a lot of lumps. He had some miracles though, man. If you go back, he, the Lord really helped that man. There was one time he won a playoff game. Absolute miracle. Miracle of the Lord. That's, I mean, if that didn't bring people to faith, I don't know what will. With a man with that throwing motion, winning a playoff game, that was Jesus all over. And he'd probably say that too. But they say, Tim, you just lost to the Patriots 48 to 14. One went wrong. Well, you know, the most important thing is that, you know, I know I'm loved in the Lord Jesus Christ and he's died for my sins. He's risen from the grave. And man, people would get on that guy so bad. Just get on him so bad. It probably cost him some jobs. I mean, he's a playoff winning quarterback who never got another job. There's sacrifices to be made. But Tim would speak out and he would be told to be quiet constantly. Our culture just belittles Christians so much. If he came out and said, I'm so proud, I'm so proud of my sin, people would have applauded him. They would have said, way to fight for the women's rights. 
Way to fight for the, for the sexual minorities' rights, Tim. But instead, he came out and talked about Jesus, and he got slammed constantly. And that's what will happen to us in our culture. You got to be ready to get out there. Paul was. It takes prayer. There's a spiritual battle going on. Paul's got to, says, pray for us that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. We got to pray that God would open a door in the people's hearts that we're talking to. We got to pray that he would open our mouths. Open our mouths to overcome Satan with the word of the Lord. Wise witnesses clearly proclaim this mystery in Paul it's talking about he can be a wise, how we can be a wise witness. The first thing is prayer. In, next, in verse 5, he says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Wise witnesses are devoted to prayer. The analogy is that we need the door open, and they also look to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I was at uh, college, and I was at a party, and there was this guy there, and we were talking, and we got, it was interesting because I could see that he was talking with another person before me, and it was kind of, you know, getting interesting, getting a little heated or something like that. And so then he kind of came over where I was, and I was like, how's it going? He's like, oh, and he started talking to me about what he was talking to with this other guy before, and it was about God, and it was about religion, it was about Christianity, it was about the Bible. And so we started talking, and I started telling him about Jesus, and I said, well, you know, Christians believe this and that. And this guy who he'd been talking to went off, you know, got another drink or whatever it was. He came back over to where we were talking and he heard that the conversation was still going. And I can't remember what I said exactly because it was about 20 years ago. But I was starting to make some headway with this individual and understanding, understanding Christianity. And this guy came back over and I can't remember exactly what he said there either. But I remember that it was something like this as we're talking. Like you start to feel that door being opened and all of a sudden, this guy comes back over and goes, and that's why I told you that the KJV is the only translation that the Lord has brought. And I was like, what are you, why, why are you even focusing on this? I mean, I've heard so many Christians do this, right? They come over and they, they give you their, their like twisted interpretation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what's important. There's a door opening and they come over and say, and that's why you have to speak in tongues to be a believer in Jesus. Or they come over and say, and that's why our church believes that the body and blood, the bread, it is a miracle. And that's why you have, and it's like, what are you even, where did you get that from? Like, where, have you read this book? Why, what is that? Why are, why is this your thing? Lately, I've been mentioning political topics more often because Satan is working in political ways. As a church, we've got to be informed. If we have idols, we have to talk about that. One of the things that I explained to you in the last Bible study that we did, and we do it on Wednesday nights in Revelation, this is not about getting you to vote differently. You cannot vote at all. I don't care. This is about your salvation. The reason why we're talking about this is not because we want to win an election, but because you literally might have an idol in your life separating you from Jesus Christ, and it is your politics. You listen to your politicians over the word of the Lord. And so often a door opens and what do we do? We jump in and we say, and that's why we vote this way. There's all these different things, all these different focuses that you can have. And sometimes you've got to talk about it. None of these things are unimportant. But Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. You've got to be wise. You start with the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on him. 
There's time for other things. There'll be time for discipleship. We want to make sure we're focused on what the Lord wants us to say. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. I'll say things even in church here today that I will not say if I'm face-to-face with someone going to hell. I'm mostly preaching to the choir today. If we have any unbelievers here, you're so welcome to be here. We're so glad you're here. If I'm talking to someone face-to-face who marches in those parades, I speak much differently. I'll tell them the truth. I'll tell them the word of the Lord. But I make the most of my time that I have with them. What an honor it is that they're even able to talk with this with me. And we got to be wise in how we speak with outsiders, making the best use of the time. We don't want to add any extra offense to the gospel. We don't want to focus on things that are not the gospel. We want to tell people about Jesus. That takes wisdom to say it. Prayer to open the door. Another story about just about prayer opening the door. I had a friend named Chuck, and I knew him since middle school. And I kept trying to spread the gospel to him. And man, that door was closed. That door was absolutely slammed shut. And I kept trying to tell him about Jesus. And one day he goes, you Christians, what's up with you Christians? You're always trying to convince others. What do you get out of it? What do you get out of it? I have this uh, app that is called Upside. I'm a little mad at it. It hasn't been working lately too much. But what you do is you go, and wherever you're at, you, uh, you click the little button, you search the area, search the little area, and it'll give you gas stations in the area that it partners with that get like 20 cents off a gallon. I'm like, this is amazing. Over time, I've saved like 80 bucks this year, 100 bucks, all for just clicking this little button and uploading my receipt at the end of it. And so I share it with my friends. I share with all my friends, hey, you guys got to look at this. Save me, save me $4 in gas today. That's really good. And I got a friend who's just so skeptical about this stuff. Just like anything that's like, he thinks you're selling something. He goes, quit, quit, give it, quit texting me your gas Ponzi scheme, he says. <laughs> what do you think I get out? Do you, you think the 20 cents off a gallon comes to me? I think they give me like a one-time bonus of 40 cents off a gallon or something. I'm like, I, I, I'm sharing this because it's good. Gas is high. I'm poor. I want you people to know about this. And my friend Chuck looks at me like I'm selling a Ponzi scheme. And he looks at me, he's like, what do you get out of it? I'm like, well, Chuck, every Monday in the mail, I get my check from the Pope for how many people. I've brought to the Lord, I get a commission. I get nothing. I literally get Nothing. I got a really skeptical uncle, too, who thinks the church is like, you know, the church is like an extension of the Republican Party. And he says, he goes, you know, he thinks we get our orders. It's like, you get your emails and you get and they tell you what to say. I'm like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? That's insane. You know, on this 4th of July, I should just mention, too, on this 4th of July, I'm mixing my holidays a little bit, though. Happy 4th of July. What a blessing it is to worship here today with you all. And what a blessing that our, there's no king right now over us telling us how and how we cannot worship. What an absolute blessing. What a blessing that there's no Pope over this church right now telling us how we can and cannot worship. What an absolute blessing to be free to worship the word of the Lord. I don't, I don't get any checks in the mail, Chuck. I said, this is free. I get nothing and you get eternal riches. That's a good deal for you. But Chuck just would not, 
would not go. Do we have that poem? I got this poem up there from someone. If you can read that poem. God tells the planets to put themselves in a certain orbits in space, and they all bow down and obey. He tells the mountains to be lifted up and the valleys to be cast down, and they bow down and worship and obey. He tells the great seas, you'll come to this point and go no further, and the seas obey and adore their creator. But God tells man to come, and man says, no. And that's why we need to pray for God to open the door. It takes the absolute power of prayer to get people to change their hearts. You know, when I was a kid, my sister came up to me. She's going to be mad for saying it, but my sister came up to me. She just started smoking. And she said, you know what? You got to try this. You got to try this cigarette. And I looked at it. And I thought, how much does this cost? Then it was like, you know, 25 bucks a cart. Now it's like 135, I think. But she came, and I said, and I tried it and it tasted like death. It tasted like absolute death. It smelled like death, and it cost more money than I had. And yet, she was able to get me to try that cigarette just by saying, hey, here you go. All the cool kids do it. That's insane. And yet, you can't get people to try to worship the Lord for a minute. You can get them to try a cigarette. You can try to get them to kill themselves slowly and spend all of their money and smell terribly with no redeeming qualities at all. But you tell somebody you worship the Lord. And I say, no, not a moment will I get off the throne of my life. And that's why we need prayer. Being a Christian is like having the greatest dessert on earth. Right? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like having, having the greatest dessert on earth. And you're like, taste and see that the Lord is going to... This is fantastic. I went over, you know, my, my wife's from St. Louis. We were in Minnesota going to college, and we didn't know, you know, she didn't have any family there. And so we went over to a friend's house for Easter, and she introduced us to this new dessert that she'd made. It was like pudding with you know, those little vanilla wafer cookies and chocolate and strawberries. And I tried this thing, and it was amazing. And I just grabbed it, and I just kept it for myself the rest of the time, because it was absolutely incredible. This is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. And that's like Christianity, right? Except you don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to give it away. And you try this thing, and it's delicious. Would you would you try a bite? And people are like, no. Now, would you smoke a cigarette? Sure. Would you try the Lord? No. No, there's a spiritual battle going on. You can get people to try anything. You can get them to watch it. I saw a horrible movie with violence and sex scenes. Do you want to watch it? Yeah. What are you doing later today? Let's go watch that thing. Do you want to worship the Lord for a minute? No. No. And so we absolutely, it's a spiritual battle. We rely on God's power to open the door. It's all through prayer. We need to make the most of every opportunity and act wisely. And as I'm going through this sermon series, I have guilted you at many different points. I have, but that's not going to actually work. It might get you work to start taking this seriously. But if you go out and you witness out of guilt, that's not making the most of your time with outsiders. That's not wise witness. I went into a, a Tyrus Plus. I needed, what did I need? I can't remember what I needed at the time. Maybe just an oil change or something. But I went into a Tyrus Plus that was down the road from my apartment at the time. And it was this like lousy little area, you know, and it looked pretty bad. And I was like, I don't even want to go here, but it's just down the road. And so I go there and I could see why it had fallen into such disrepair. I could see why nobody went there. And uh, it went out of business about two weeks after I took my car there. And I know why. It was a horrible place. (laughs) But here's how I knew it was a horrible place. I walked in the door. I opened the door and it goes ding, you know, with a little ding. And there was this, per- this guy behind the counter. And when he heard the door ding, he goes like this. He goes, oh. 
And he walks out from behind the counter and gives me this limp handshake. Oh, limp handshakes are the worst. He gives me this limp handshake. He goes, welcome to Tyre's Plus. It's the most depressing thing I'd ever seen in my life. I wanted to turn and run. Now, clearly nobody wanted to be working at this store. And the owner had said, nobody likes to come here. You've got to be more personal. Get out. Get out and welcome the guests. And that's what you're going to do if I guilt you into witnessing about Jesus Christ. If I guilt you into that, the Lord, need, the Lord you know, needs you to do this. You're going to go up to your friends and, oh, I serve a cruel master. And he wanted me to tell you that he loves you, I think. If you're not inspired by the Lord, first of all, you're in a very spiritually dangerous place. If you're not tasting the Lord and seeing that he's good, you're in a spiritual dangerous place. You might actually be the one that we're trying to reach for Christ. You might actually be the one today that the Holy Spirit wants to reach. If you don't love Jesus, you're definitely not going to tell people about him. And if you don't love Jesus, how can you possibly love him more than your sin? And so if that's you today, maybe at some point you were on fire from the Lord and you loved him, but that dissipated, you got to seek the Lord. And it's not like, I mean, I've, I'm not, don't want to misrepresent my faith. It's not like I'm high on the Holy Spirit 24-7. But when I focus on the Lord, when I think about the Lord, when I hear about the Lord, and sometimes it takes a few minutes. There's a new song by Phil Wilkham. That's fantastic. It says, I'm going to worship until I mean every word. Right? There's so many times where I come here and I don't feel like worshiping. And then I hear people singing and I hear Rachel and Gabe worshiping the Lord. And I see Gates, Gabe's, you know, younger brother with his guitar backwards the wrong way. <laughs> Doing his best for the Lord. And I think that's so endearing of that kid to try to play the guitar facing the wrong way. And I think <laughs> about the Lord. <laughs> But if you don't have love in your heart to the Lord, you might be the one who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. And we have to make sure that we're in love with Jesus Christ. All of history is a love story between us and God. That's the whole point of it all. And if we don't love the Lord, we're missing the point. And so we've got to go pray, we've got to go seek, we've got to go worship until we've got something to say. The door analogy, if we're going to continue Paul's door analogy, prayer opens the door and poor focus, lack of love, not being wise, that slams the door in our face. If we've got a foolish focus, we're going to fail. It's got to be Jesus. And finally, wise witnesses have conversations seasoned with salt and grace. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. There is a time for denouncing sin. I'm not even saying you can't do that. It's biblical. But in general, I try to follow the Holy Spirit in those times, and I try to follow Paul's advice of having my speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. These people are deceived by Satan, and they think they're right. And people are so much more influenced by the love of the Lord than the condemnation by sin. We've been reading through Revelation. We've been reading through God's judgment on sin. And God does all of these plagues just like he did in Egypt. It wasn't enough to change Pharaoh's heart. It's not enough to change people's heart in Revelation. It's a punishment. It's not an evangelistic strategy. What's an evangelistic strategy is what Jesus did. He came and died on the cross for our sins 
to win our hearts over with love. And as we're speaking with unbelievers, we've got to be filled with love for the Lord and we've got to be filled with love for them. I was having a conversation with one of these people and they came at me. They said, oh, you hurt me so much with what you say and Christians hurt me so much. And I was on the defensive immediately. I was like, this conversation isn't going very well. I said, why is this conversation going as well as my other conversations? And I realized, well, I'm on the defensive and I'm viewing it as an argument to be won rather than a person to be saved. And I love the wisdom of the Lord. And I love the prophets who condemn sin. And I read that and it refocuses me on where I should be. But as we look at people who do not know the Lord, we've got to make sure that we're filled with love for Jesus and with them so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul doesn't give us any sort of cookie cutter thing, which I'm going to do in just a minute. Sorry, Paul. It's good. It's good. We don't have to use it, but it's good to go through some of these things, witnessing strategies. But he says, so that you may know how, to, uh, how you ought to answer each person. The times where I've seen somebody actually convert and understand the mystery of the gospel, I haven't even explained the mystery of the gospel to them. Okay? They've been so desperate for the Lord in some area of their life that I'm in the word of the Lord myself. I have a love for God. I have a love for them. And I say something from, usually from the Bible or something, and it gives them hope that they're missing or addresses them in some way. And they're so miserable with their own life right now that they pour their whole heart into Jesus in that moment. They don't even know what it means. They don't know what it even means yet. And yet they know that the Lord is Lord of their life. The specifics of a cross and sin and separation from God, like that all honestly has come later in the times where I've actually seen somebody convert on the spot. And it's come from knowing how to, uh, you ought to answer each person. I've never actually seen some convert by using myself, by using a cookie cutter thing. Here's the three steps. Here's the Romans road, right? The Romans road is fantastic. We should go through that sometime. I think it prepares people's hearts. But I've never seen actually somebody just become a born again believer from explaining Romans Road. We need to know how to, how to answer each person. This means we've got to be filled with this Holy Spirit. We've got to be in the Word ourselves, and we've got to be listening to what they're saying and looking to reach them with the Word of the Lord where they're at. My mother-in-law is a fantastic evangelist. She's a fantastic evangelist. She had a foreign exchange student named Fritz from Sweden who was staying with her and her family and friends with her oldest son, my brother-in-law. He was from Sweden. That kid was hardcore, I mean, he was not open to the gospel at all. I think he was into drugs and all sorts of stuff. And yet my mother-in-law connected with this kid who's 30 years younger than her, whatever, it was 20 years younger, completely different stage of life. My mother-in-law is like a good Catholic believer, right? She is like, you know, and this kid is a rough kid. And yet she loves the Lord and she sat there and she got this kid to listen and she talked back and forth with him. She got him to watch all five Lee Strobel Case for Christ videos. Now, I'm pretty sure some of those videos just existed because Lee Strobel needed some more things to do with his life because after the first two, 10 years later, he's like, well, what else do I do? I'm just going to make some more. I don't know if some of those videos... <laughs> I don't know if some of those videos even needed to be made. But she got him to watch not only the one that was powerful and changed the world, but the other four as well. <laughs> Lee Strobel sitting in Chicago saying, thank you. 
But what an incredible thing you can do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can get a 20-year-old college student to watch five Lee Strobel videos with you. And so we need to be wise witnesses that proclaim the gospel, that pray for the doors to be open, to make the most of every opportunity, to act wisely so that door does not get slammed shut, and have conversations seasoned with salt and grace so that we can clearly pass that message through the door. And now if we can go to the end here a little bit, I got some diagrams for you. If you're looking to explain the gospel to somebody, you're not sure what it is, I want you to be in the Word first and foremost. But this is a great tool to use if you need to explain the gospel to somebody quick. This is called the bridge. It's, there's a handout in your bulletin. And if you don't need one, if you don't have one, you can always write it down on a piece of paper or take a picture of it quick. But you can always say, this is the gospel. This is our situation. You draw a little, little uh, crevice, a little canyon, right? And on one side, it's you. And on the other side is God. And you say, God is on this side. He is perfect. We are on this side. We are not the fact that God is perfect and that we are not creates a separation between us. That separation is called sin. God's perfect, we're not. And in the end, the result of sin is death. Put death down at the bottom. How do we avoid death in our efforts to get to God? How can we get to God and be saved? Well, the answer is, if we try to do it on our own, we're going straight down to hell but the cross provides a bridge across from us to God. Jesus Christ provided that so that we can go across this canyon and meet the Lord. Jesus Christ has taken us from sin to perfection. And we're worthy of a relationship with God. Not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus done. That cross allows us to have a relationship, us sinners, with a perfect God. To be forgiven and made right. So that's a great way to explain the gospel to someone. And here's another one that you may not have heard before, and this one is my personal favorite. Because this one actually gets you to get the person to admit that they're a sinner in a very non-confrontational, non-offensive way. It's genius. This is called the morality gap. And you draw a ladder. And the top, you got, you got a ladder, you got the bottom, draw a line at the very bottom, draw a line at the very top, and you're going to make rungs on a ladder. It's called the morality gap. And you say, at the top is perfection. The top of this ladder is perfection. Who's perfect? There's only one that's perfect. It's God. People never have disagreed with me. And I've done this before. I've never had anyone disagree with me on this. It works really well. God is perfect. And you say, who's the worst? Okay, at the top is God. Who's at the bottom? And you let them answer. Who's at the bottom? And they almost inevitably will say Hitler. I feel so bad for whoever tried to carry on the Hitler family name. At that point, it was just over, right? It's a whole different level of evil when you can no longer, everybody's got to change their name. Generations later, everyone still says Hitler. He's the most evil person. Okay, so God's at the top, Hitler's at the bottom. And then you say, who, who else is close to God? Right, they're not perfect. They're not right there with him, but they're close, right? Who is it? And they'll say, mom, my mother. Or they'll say, mother Teresa. Or they'll say Billy Graham. Or they'll say Martin Luther King. And just ask for a few of these people. And don't argue with them about them at all. This is just on from their perspective, right? Who's close to the Lord? Who do they think is very godly? All right, great. We'll put MLK on there. We'll put whoever you want on there. And then you say, now I want you to put yourself on here. And they won't be so prideful as to put themselves above these godly people that they've just mentioned. And they clearly won't put themselves at the bottom with Hitler. But they'll put themselves right in the middle. And I'll say, I'm right there. It always goes the same way whenever I've done this. They put themselves right in the middle. And then you say, 
There's a gap between you and the Lord. There's a distance. There's a separation between you and God. How do you make up for that separation? Draw the cross at the side of that thing and say, I make up for it through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that brings me from here to here. Would you like to know about Jesus? Would you like to become a Christian? How do you make up for that? And this has never failed to get me an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Jesus forgives the gap between us and the Lord so we can have a perfect eternal life with God. And there's some things that you can do to share with that person that you've been praying for. 